bizarre game, wasn't it? I mean, you know, such a such a cliche, but never a true word was spoken. It was indeed a game of two halves. Uh, the first ten minutes, United were absolutely perfection. Right, it was completely magnificent. That Hernandez goal. I mean, we've been blessed this season with some absolute belters. I'm starting to assemble a top five, and I've got four positions definitely taken: RVP against West Ham, Raphael against QPR, Kagawa's second against Norwich, and now another one to add to the list an absolutely incredible reverse pass from Carrick and then just just a miraculous guided header from Chicharito technically absolutely extraordinary that goal but then as you say second half Manchester United appeared to give up all hope Rafa's substitutions greeted by boos and you don't know what you're doing from the crowd proceeded to completely change the game and in the end I was going to say United were lucky not to lose but of course they weren't lucky they were gifted with the goalkeeper that is David De Gea and that's why they didn't lose well, yeah, coming back to the Hernandez goal of five minutes or so, wasn't it? And another fantastic header from Hernandez. I mean, pick out pick out his top three. There's this one, you know, great looping header from, a, as you say, a fantastic pass. The back header against Stoke. And, and then I'm going to give him the one that went off in, in off his face on his debut in the charity shield. Yeah, clearly. That's number one. Yeah, totally, totally. He meant it, you know. It's the nose that won it. So and, and Rooney scored as well after all the criticism, the column inches and all of that. The boy Wazza put United two up after what, about ten minutes or so and it looked it looked super easy. It looked like United were gonna cruise the game, didn't it? And all changed after an hour or so. Uh, Rafa Benitez perhaps got one over on Sir Alex, you know, changed the game with substitutions. That's twice in a week or so that substitutions have changed the opponent's game in their favour, isn't it? And uh, uh, Alex might wanna have a look at himself there, maybe. I don't know why, because Chelsea had played more recently than United, but United looked like they ran out of steam completely. There were no legs in that you know, sort of last half hour. Was there all the energy and impetus went out of the game and uh, it looked like United had played two days before, not Chelsea. Yes, but I think the reason is to do with intensity because anyone that, that you do a day's physical activity and a day's intense concentration, the intense concentration will be the thing that tires you out more. You know, the the heightened emotion of the game against Real Madrid and the incredible intensity of the build-up and all that kind of stuff. And just around the whole club, I, I'm sure that took its toll and, and the, the physiological aspect of that comes into play then and, you know, the effect of concentration and emotional intensity on the body so the fact that we'd played we'd had more of a physical rest didn't really matter because our exertion was so much greater than Chelsea's had been I think you're right, yeah. I mean, it's, it's clearly that, but it had such a profound effect on United. And, and I suppose there there are a few days off now, aren't there? And until the game gets Reading at the weekend, and, and it, reasonably that, that should be a, a game that United win anyway. So hopefully a, a chance to recharge the batteries. And, and you mentioned David De Gea. Uh, praise again. I mean, he, he seems to be pulling out um, all, the, all the special games against Chelsea, doesn't he? But save from one matter with uh, sort of moments to go in the game, got United a replay. Yeah, I mean, not just against Chelsea, but against Juan Mata, clearly. Juan Mata must really hate David De Gea. That was just ridiculous, that save. I mean, that was a goal. You know, much, in fact, much like the Mata free kick, it just it just felt like a goal up, right up until the point it went in, it didn't go in the back of the net. Actually, it's worth probably singling out Petr Cech for some praise as well. His stop from David Luiz was uh, pretty impressive. Uh, a fine, a fine attacking header. Not quite Gareth Barry-esque, but still uh, a, a really good attempt from David Lowell's. Yeah, right. 
I mean, we shouldn't forget that Czech is a really fine goalkeeper. I mean, there, there was a, a period during his early career where people were talking about him as, as the best in the world and um, obviously that head injury against Reading. I, I, I thought it gave him sort of three years of uncertainty and I don't know whether it was a direct consequence, but I kind of suspect it was. Uh, he, he didn't seem as secure in his handling. He made more mistakes. He just didn't seem like the, the same keeper. But I, I, I get the sense in the last couple of years he's found some of his old authority again. Yeah, no, absolutely. He seems to be definitely redeveloping that. And I, I don't think he's, I don't know, you wouldn't say that Petr Cech's the best goalkeeper in the world, would you now? And and I think you're right, there was that period where he probably was, or, I mean, I don't know, it's a, it's a bit arbitrary, isn't it? I don't really watch enough Serie A to know how he compares to Gigi Buffon or whatever, or even Casillas in La Liga. But yeah, it, it, I kind of felt that United were going to regret not scoring a third, which is a slightly funny thing to say, because you often would hear, like, oh, you, they're going to regret not scoring a second. But it really felt like we had so much dominance in that first half, and you you thought, well, this this is not going to last. And then we just completely ran out of any kind of answer to Chelsea. Carrick, I, I, I said on Twitter that, and you know, I am a huge Carrick advocate, so not one to get on his back quickly or anything, but I, I thought he had a really poor game, and other people said, no, he was really good defensively and was very important to United, so that's fair enough. But it looked to me like every time we got the second ball, we wasted it. Yeah, so so I thought United were really sloppy, and I, I thought Carrick wasn't up to his usual standards. I mean, and, and I'm a, a big fan of Michael Carrick, so I'm allowed to criticise him, uh, unlike those who criticise him for the sake of it, uh, and they have no right to say anything. <laughs> Honest. And so, so, yeah, I don't think he had a, a good game at all. I thought Cleverly, uh, again, and uh, Kagawa, not great either. Uh, Cleverly was below not great, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, quite. you know, we, we, we don't really we don't mercilessly lump on players for no reason, but do try and prevent present a kind of objective, not objective, but an honest subjective analysis of how I felt the game went. And I thought Tom Cleverly was absolutely appalling in that game. You know, you could see he was really trying, but nothing came off for him. I have to say to counter that, that's what young players give you. That That is the reality of young players when they're put in the first team. I mean, we all look back with such rose-tinted spectacles at the class of 92, but they were a complete shambles from time to time, you know, when they were being introduced to the first team. And I, I hope this just goes down as a game in Cleverley's career where it's just, oh yeah, remember that time when he was a complete shambles? God, look at him now. Absolutely world-beater kind of thing. Right. Well, look, we, we can't extrapolate too much from one game. And, and I, I take I get what you say about young players. He's not actually that young. He's inexperienced, uh, which I suppose is, is sort of the same thing. But uh, he's, he's 23 and he'll be 24, uh, not that far away. So he's coming into a period where he should really be growing in authority. But he's had a fine season, I think. You know, it's all relative. So it's based on his previous seasons. He's had a fine season. I think we'd expect even more from him next season. And of course, if he didn't deliver it then, then there'd be some more questions I think you know there's there's plenty in the locker from Cleverly but it wasn't a good game against Chelsea other players to single out actually the uh, really negative effect on the game when Nani came off injured uh, and replaced by Valencia funny thing to say because god change so mercurial isn't it who's in form and who's not but I mean Nani was really effective and looked really dangerous all the time it's so confusing football and then Valencia came on and you know, there's been a, a few little glimpses of hope in some of his recent performances, but this was back to the absolute troughs of, of I don't know, like some sort of footballing depression that uh, Tony V's in. Just an absolute total loss of form. 
Yeah, I, and it's really depressing that uh, this has happened. Uh, I, look, I, I see people saying things like, we've got to sell him, you know, he should never wear the shirt again. And I think that kind of thing is nonsense because uh, this time last year he was almost single-handedly driving United towards you know, almost winning the, the league. He was brilliant in the running, uh, was Tony Valencia. So let's not forget that. He's not had a great season, but the quality's there. So um, there, there's lots and lots more to come to him. Maybe he's tired, maybe he's carrying an injury, as we talked about who knows it, it doesn't seem quite right that he's lost so much confidence given how good he was in the spring last year and for Nani well it's great that he had a he had a good you know not long obviously because he got injured but it's great that he had another positive impact on a United game and and uh, there's been a few of those now right and he talked afterwards about wanting to grow and wanting to perform better and and there's still the big question mark over his contract of course it's not signed doesn't look like it will be and and if you were betting on it you'd say that he'd be gone in the summer but you would have bet that he would have been gone last the January before last last summer and January just gone as well, wouldn't you? So and and Ferguson doesn't lose patience with players quickly, does he? He's he's given Nani inconsistent over six seasons now, and Anderson even more inconsistent over the same period. An awful lot of chances, so he's not quick to get rid of players just for the sake of it. But the contract situation's not being resolved. It seems that uh, he and his people have a different valuation than the club does. Ferguson, if you believe the grapevine, had effectively made the decision about Nani that United would get rid. United tried to get rid in January, it seems, to Zenit. Um, so all, all signs still point to Nani going. But look, if he puts in some brilliant performances, if his people adjust their expectations about wages, it, it could all turn around. Yeah, absolutely, especially if Valencia doesn't recover some form. And you've answered a question that we had from at MUFC. So thank you for the question. And I hope Ed's, Ed's answer there answers certainly his perspective on that, which is that, you know, it's too soon to give up on Valencia. And whether he can get out of his rut is absolutely fascinating. I, I just I have no idea. I have no idea. This looks like Torres, you know, this looks like a complete loss of form over a really sustained period of time. But Valencia's had quiet periods in his career before. Um, and come back to some some kind of peak again. So you know, I do I do think it's possible. Yeah, I mean, there's I think there's a wider question about United's wide players, isn't there? For that probably probably needs to be addressed in the summer because if you think about it, we we really don't have any that have been performing to the total effect this season. So uh, Ashley Young's been injured a lot, and there's question marks about his quality anyway. Valencia poor form, Nani poor poor form. Others who've played in wide positions are playing there not in their natural position. So Kagawa, I don't think he's anywhere near as effective when he plays wide left and comes in. Uh, Rooney has played there on occasion, Welbeck more often, Giggs you know going on 87 or whatever he is now. So there there is. A big question in the summer about whether United have enough resources in wide areas and exactly how Ferguson wants to play with his forward players. I mean, he's all been very effective going forward this season. United scored a lot of goals, of course. You shouldn't forget that, but uh, it's not optimal at the moment. And and these debates about all our our wingers uh, kind of highlight that. I think. Talking of players in and out of form, it was interesting that Robin came on, but very singularly failed to change the game by coming on. A definite little dip in form, and not particularly critical of him for that because he's played an enormous amount of football and was enormously relied upon for for a good stretch of that slightly odd decision I thought to bring him on for Hernandez there was just something about that that didn't feel like it was going to work to me but you know you do understand the logic of the decision don't you but it felt like our problem wasn't getting the ball to stick up front our problem was getting the ball to stick you know a third of the way between the 
our penalty box and the centre circle. You know, it was really right. Yeah, it was all really pushed forward. And I, what do you make of the Benitez thing? It was hilarious. Chelsea fans started singing "Your supports a load of dot dot dot." Um, about what five minutes after they'd all booed these substitutions that had changed the game, and you're not wanted here, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's a bit petty, isn't it? What's wrong with Benitez as an interim manager? It's a perfectly decent shift of it he's making, isn't he? Think back to some of the big games that Chelsea and Liverpool had in Europe and, and other, and uh, Benitez wasn't exactly respectful of the opposition. So uh, that's the problem, right? For Chelsea fans, it's like, it's not quite, but it's not far off Kenny Dalglish taking over at Old Trafford, right? So imagine how the Old Trafford support would would react to that. So uh, logically, Benitez is a perfectly acceptable interim manager. He's experienced. He's, he's taken clubs far in Europe before he's won trophies. I think personality-wise, and given the club he's at, it's not the right fit. I don't think it ever was, but that's why he was given the title interim. They knew that. They wanted a safe pair of hands for these few months, and they're, they're hoping to get Jose back in the summer because they couldn't get Pep, but J- Jose and Roman are talking, so says the, the gossip columns. So maybe that will happen. So logically, yes, perfectly acceptable. I think uh, emotionally, not acceptable. And that's why the Chelsea fans have reacted the way they have. And of course it's petty. And of course Benitez is right. Logically, when he says, basically, to paraphrase, you're cutting your nose off to spite your exactly, face here. You're, yeah. not help- you're not helping the team. And, and all of that makes total sense but football's not logical right it's emotional people are emotionally invested in their club and they don't like this guy who's an outsider and was their opponent bitter opponent for a very long time yeah i mean that 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 makes sense and you are right it's just really stupid from and and it's really self-destructive from chelsea's point of view as far as i can work out but you know what i don't really know much about chelsea so i'm not well informed enough to speak on it but it was just really comical the way they responded to that such a smart substitution as well because he obviously when at the point at which he brought on Hazard he wanted to uh, solidify the the centre of midfield so that they they were less vulnerable you know that Hazard coming on wouldn't make them more vulnerable to a counter attack so he took off Lampard and put on Mikel because they play such a different they, they play in that two so differently don't yep. they yeah, it was like yep. yep very good substitution worked very effectively and United had absolutely no answer to it because they had no outlet because every time the midfielders came out with the ball they either gave it away or the you know it got to Valencia and then completely dried up uh, and there wasn't wasn't much going down on the left either no no it made a lot of sense tactically he got it completely right and changed the game around I mean I have to say I really I re- do really like Azard as a player uh, as a personality he's a cocky bastard isn't he? <laughs> a he really is he really is I mean he trolled the whole of the media world last summer quite brilliantly I, I did enjoy that actually but the, re- the rest of him not much to like but he's a really fantastic player really really explosive really impactful player great with the ball at his feet makes the right intelligent runs got a real really dangerous in front of goal I mean I, I wrote a piece last summer when Chelsea signed Hazard and it looked like United were about to sign Kagawa and we all thought that was nailed on saying I thought United got the wrong man got a lot of criticism for that gotta say and they don't really play in exactly the same position uh, they they tend to play Hazard sort of off the left drifting drifting into the centre so not a classic 10 uh, but he's very very effective there and you know they're a really fine player went to the wrong club because he was interested in the cash but there you go too bad sometimes it goes like that yeah absolutely you cannot win them all and Shinji's sort of more endearing than Eden Hazard at least we've got that going for us 
Yes, very, very much. Actually, one last thing I wanted to say about, about that game, uh, because you, you kind of touched on it, Robin Van Persie having played so many games. He played 37 times this season. It's more than any other United player across all competitions. And and I think, given his injury profile, United will do well to, to not try and burn him out here. There's some really tough games coming up. Reading isn't one of them. And then there's the international break, so he'll end up playing for Holland. I would think it'd be a good opportunity to not play him again and, uh, and utilise the squad there. Uh, we'll see whether that happens I mean the temptation is in difficult times to bring him on because he's the saviour but uh, I think uh, him being fresh for the last 10-12 games of the season is more important than playing him against Reading but we'll see yeah and I could not agree more with that because you know to go back to what I was saying about concentration being more tiring than physical effort it's not just that he's played 37 games but they've been 37 games full of kind of emotional roller coaster which he's been an absolutely central pivot to even when it goes in your favor there's still a physical consequence of that you know there's still a I would imagine that (laughs) scoring that winner against Man City the elation that that's going to give you there's definitely a physiological consequence to that afterwards you know the highs and lows and the ups and downs and all that I'm I'm not surprised that he's had such a, a, a noticeable dip in form from scoring like I don't know 12 goals a game to one in nine I think it is now which is a, so I, I, I agree and it is a difficult one because then you know you worry well what are you doing to his confidence and stuff but I think you've got to think Van Persie's confidence isn't going to be too shaken by this is he? he's going to back himself to get back into form pretty quickly uh, he, I mean, he well, the quality's there. He's, I think he's just tired. I, yeah. I think he's, he, it's really approaching sort of burnout point. Moving on, I guess. Uh, I wanted to talk about a, another relative failure. Uh, England, no Premier League clubs in the quarterfinal of the Champions League after Arsenal uh, were knocked out by Bayern Munich. Uh, put up a good fight, to be fair. Arsenal, well, ish. I mean, the uh, the scoreline tells a very different story to the, the how the game actually went. But, but what do you make of this? I mean, uh, United unlucky to go out, City out of the group stages again, Arsenal knocked out, Chelsea knocked out. Is this a, is this a new world order now? England could drop to, or the Premier League could drop to third in the UEFA coefficients any more failure and uh, the Premier League risks losing a place in the Champions League which would have some very serious consequences yeah um, you'd have to think that you, English teams are doing all right in the Europa League aren't they this season so that's gonna pump up the coefficient points because that does count quite a lot I think there is absolutely nothing whatsoever to be read into this particular season's uh, failure on the part of English clubs I really don't think in fact I think the Premier League is is sort of re-strengthening at the moment I I think United's performance against Real sort of indicates that it's interesting to see how how good we were like absolute world beaters uh, one week and then the, the like six days later or whatever it was, we looked like the lads from the dog and duck had got a run out. But no, that that I th- I think United were drawn against Real Madrid in the, the the last sixteen, in spite of the fact that they won their group, which is incredibly unfortunate. Arsenal were drawn against Bayern Munich. Okay, Arsenal didn't win their group, and that's why it happened. We can all make fun of City as much as we want, but a group with Dortmund and Real Madrid in it is absolutely rock hard, you know. And yeah, they. They have underperformed in Europe, but they're they're new to it. You know, it's you just you just have to take that seriously with European football. Remember how long it took us to establish a foothold in Europe. You know, once we started to have some success, it's a completely different environment now. I mean, City have bought a bunch of established international players who have done good things in European football. United were going for a very low base, 
right? Think about where England was in the mid-80s, coming out of the, the, the ban. United's first season back in European competition won the Cup Winners' Cup, which was, I mean, think, maybe that's like the adrenaline after coming back from a long injury. Then you have a big dip. There, there wasn't much success for, for English clubs through the mid-1990s, and it did take us a long time because English football was coming from a low base, you know? And, I think you're right. In, in many ways, that makes United's 1999 win pretty remarkable you know rather than the 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 three finals in four years uh, which was right at the height of the Premier League's power yeah and I think it's it's also the England was obviously disproportionately affected by the three foreigners rule because of the relationship between Scotland Wales Ireland you know so a, a very has going to have a very significant impact in a different way um, but yeah I, no you're right about that you are right it isn't directly comparable it was perhaps foolish to make the analogy but still even all that aside that's a tough group for Barcelona to qualify from if Barcelona were, were in that group instead of City I mean I think you'd think they'd probably qualify because they're very good in that but you know Dortmund and Real Madrid are two of the finest teams in Europe no no doubt about that well talking to Barcelona absolutely stunning performance against Milan everyone three defeats in a row for Barcelona Milan Real Real and uh, everybody suddenly was hopping onto their typewriter to write up the Barca bitchery and uh, they were absolutely stunning against Milan absolutely thumping the fact that their coach is having chemotherapy at the moment and they pulled that performance with the guy that used to put the video replays together, you know, it, at the helm, it just goes to show what an incredible job they've done there. Well, my, my new AVB was the guy who used to put the video replays together. Someone decided to give him a job in management. <laughs> yes, that's true. And he, <laughs> he's doing all right too, isn't he, uh, at the moment? But yeah, uh, although they annoyingly lost to Liverpool, making Liverpool get to. Although I suppose we do get the the joy of the fact that the fact that Tottenham lost to Liverpool means that got quite a lot of Liverpool fans talking about the reality of their league title push for next season. So you know that was that was the the one upside from that victory. That Barcelona performance was ridiculous. I mean, Messi has clearly been out of form you know for Messi but his performance in that game was just stupid that first goal like the amount of space he had and the finish he pulls off he just thinks quicker than other people you know and they're, they're all on the juice though aren't they Ed that's what's going on ah absolutely yeah uh, orange orange juice apple <laughs> uh, talking of art and football as I think it's fair to say we had a fantastic competition prize courtesy of the wonderful artist Brendan Higgins, Chinatownbrunch.com and at Chinatownbrunch to follow him on Twitter. Three beautiful prints, very different, all capturing different aspects of what it's like to support Manchester United. A beautiful image of Old Trafford, a fantastic interior of uh, fans celebrating a goal and uh, and just a kind of abstract black, white and red. Just, just uh, anyway, I'm crazy about its stuff. So uh, we, we, we were delighted to be able to give that away. And, and a couple of honourable mentions for the com- contest prize entries. You guys have not won, but you did a, a fine job uh, at Chris K93. Uh, da Vinci was the, described as the epitome of Renaissance art, just as Skulls is the epitome of the beauty of United. That's good, but Liz Worsley cheated and gave uh, Jack Holt the John O'Shea as Leonardo da Vinci. Vintage Renaissance man, so that, that, was, that was pretty good. I really enjoyed this one from at MUFC Jeff. Uh, Quentin Blake equals Raphael. There's a perception of him as scrappy and rushed, but really full of colour and life and all the while being exactly what's needed. I love that. 
Uh, at bifurcated underscore MUFC, who is too close to the rank cast for us to give him the prize, says uh, Michael Craig Martin turned a glass of water into an oak tree without altering its physical appearance. Eric exists on that plane. And talking of Eric, the winner, at Error Gorilla, Sean O'Keefe on Twitter, says Caravaggio, like Cantona, he was brilliant, influential and violent. He pursued vendettas, brawled in bars and produced beauty and uh, for that beautiful simile is it simile i don't know whatever it is get if you could just dm me your details on twitter uh, then i'll pass them to brendan and he'll send send out those three lovely prints to you so thanks to everyone very good who entered that competition and very massive massive props to at chinatown branch for uh, for for sorting us out with that lovely prize yeah thank you very much and of course caravaggio died of lead poisoning somewhat ironic really it was the paint what killed him i don't think the football will kill eric that's why he retired aged 29 and a bit well that's why he had to retire because he knew that it would do otherwise you know the burning desire for perfection well there you go from from a painter 400 and a bit years ago to to another kind of artist on the pitch love it not quite an artist, Rio Ferdinand, but he's been pretty influential at Old Trafford and he's back in the England squad. Uh, obviously, this is for football reasons, right? Clearly. I mean, for football reasons, he is the best centre-half in England by miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. The best English centre-half in England. It's ridiculous how good he is. Like, for the first 45 minutes against Chelsea, it was insane, the performance that Rio put together. The performances against Madrid, brilliant. I, I love him. I just... I don't know, he's still not taken to heart by the whole of Manchester United fandom. and People get annoyed about his silly caps, which are, you know, there's a cap with a number five on it. You can make money out of that. Good luck to you, sort of thing. But he's just an incredibly gifted defender. He is. He deserves to be in the English squad. Of course, it's, it was never anything to do with football reasons uh, why he was out of the English squad. It was all to do with John Terry being a daft racist. Yeah. And and Roy Hodgson being in a political bind and instead of doing the right thing in booting the racist out of the squad, booted the racist victim's brother out of the squad instead. Yeah, absolutely. And the really bizarre thing about it, well, not the really bizarre thing, but if I was Rio, I would not accept this call up to the England squad. Squad after the way he's been treated. No, I would. I'd tell the FA where to go exactly. But Rio, what didn't Rio say something like that? If he got a call up, he'd pack his bags and walk to wherever England were playing. So a very proud Englishman and very proud to play for the national squad. And and maybe he'll get a chance to play in Rio with uh, England in 20, 2014 in the World Cup. So it's a long way away, of course. You know, more, more than a season and a year a bit away. But Rio's played twenty times in the Premier Se- Premier League this season. You know, he's playing a lot of games. He's fit. The old back problems aren't on there anymore. Uh, there would, of course, be a question about whether he could play seven days in a, seven games in a month. But but given that England will get to the quarter final, that's really five games in three weeks. He can manage that. Yeah, absolutely. Rio, couple of bits of controversy recently. I was about to praise his uh, general professionalism and role model status on the pitch, but a couple of things a bit naughty. The, the applauding of the referee sarcastically was understandable, but still not necessarily befitting a player of his stature in the game and age and all that. Uh, I think I said, uh, I think that's my favourite form of referee abuse. <laughs> yeah, it's good. But, you know, it's the Torres thing, though, that was really out of order. I mean, I know it's Torres and whatever, but still, can't just knock him over, elbow him in the back of the head and then pull him up like, get up, you're worse, what are you complaining about? Well, you just ran up to me and elbowed me in the back of the head and knocked me over and then picked me up like, it was like a weird form, he was trying to convince Torres that he'd imagined 
what had just happened had happened and Tyres looked very confused and a bit upset. Ah, barely brushed him. Don't know what you're talking about. Barely brushed him. He he escaped any sort of form of censure from the FA and got an England call up in the same week. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. That's the, that's the Illuminati at work. Um, uh, the... now, now we've got a new Pope. Yeah. Pope Francis. Uh, yeah. You'll be familiar with that name. I certainly am. Yeah. Any thoughts on the new Pope? Yeah, he's a bit fascist, isn't he? He's a bit of a shame. And listen, sorry if you're really devoutly Catholic and listening to this and believe that the Pope is like chosen by the Lord to represent him on earth. But uh, to be honest, I wanted Peter Turkson to win because I'm friends with his nephew. So that would have been ace because then I'd have been mates with the Pope's nephew, which surely must be good for something in life even if it's just a story but yeah he's a bit of a bit on the old incredibly hostile and right wing side isn't he that's that's kind of what popes are though isn't it you know uh, all i know about the pope is he's likely to be quite a religious man and uh, maybe he's a united fan let's let's check that out he's he's from argentina he is i i detect the hand of god in this one (laughs) (laughs) and on that tasteful note we should move on (laughs) twitter questions this week i'm sure we've got some yeah we've got some Uh, at Stuart dix says, if FFP doesn't snag City or Chelsea or PSG, it will have been a complete waste of time, won't it? Yes, absolutely. And and look, let's not beat around the bush about this one. FFP is designed entirely to snag City and Chelsea and Malaga and PSG and all the, and all the other clubs that are spending way above their means because they have a sugar daddy. It's got nothing about debt. It's not, nothing in there about leverage takeovers or, or any of that stuff. This is not about uh, protecting clubs from asset strippers or global capital. This is uh, about levelling the playing field. At the same time, of course, it will build in uh, the status quo so the big clubs in Europe uh, will tend to benefit disproportionately against the smaller clubs doesn't mean you can't grow organically doesn't mean you can't go invest in a massive brand new stadium like arsenal and get debt for that reason but uh, generally speaking it's aimed at city and chelsea and psg and the others yeah Okay, at Paul underscore Haves on a similar note says, what do you make of the PSG 150 million euro backdated partnership? So look, the question here is about related party payments, right? So uh, it, is it? <laughs> of course it is, Ed. That was exactly what was on the tip of all of our tongues. We we're all like, oh, you know what the question here is? It's about related party payments. What are they? It's where a party related to the owners uh, pays you money in sponsorship. So, for example, where uh, the owners of Manchester City from Abu Dhabi and uh, or also the same owners of the Etihad Airline, uh, effectively the the, uh, the royal family, uh, are pouring money into Manchester City. Is that related payment logic? Would say yes. Uh, and the same here. So uh, the owners of PSG is effectively sovereign wealth. It's a it's a, a a state-owned company that's pouring money into PSG, and and so clearly this is related now we'll see how this all plays out because actually none of the clubs really have to comply properly for another couple of years yet so they're going to test the waters it'll get tested in court eventually i'm quite sure of that and and uefa's lawyers better be bloody good in order to make it go through absolutely i mean it's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with that the question is spot on isn't it if it doesn't get Chelsea or City or PSG, that does literally mean it's failed. And what will happen is a bunch of less successful versions of that will get kind of caught in the crossfire of it all, I would have thought. All right, this is a question I've been asked a couple of times uh, this week, and I feel like I've got a pretty straightforward answer to it, and I think yours will be the same as mine. It's a complete hypothetical, so we've got a not realistic at all. It's just one of those fun, you know, who'd win in a fight between Superman and the Hulk? Superman. Given the option asks at lucas underscore m-u-t-d would you rather buy bale or get ronaldo back ronaldo ronaldo's either the best player in the world or the second best player in the world it's got a massive built-in relationship with the club 
You start getting really super practical about it and say Bale might have more resale value than than uh, Ronaldo because of his age, but I think you could probably resell Ronaldo for quite a lot of money in five years' time if you really had to. Yeah, dumb question. Let's move on. <laughs> but it's it's floating around a lot though. It, it, I've I've been asked this from from various different sources, but but Gareth Bale is in the midst of having a good season and he might turn out to be absolutely world class, brilliant, totally top of the tree. Uh, but he's not quite there yet because he hasn't been there for long enough to for demonstrate that right yeah and he's just not as good the thing about things that float around is sometimes they shouldn't (laughs) okay let's flush this one down i was trying to get in the next question before it came up but i was too late at amplified to rock says simply modric in question mark Oh, I'd love it so much, but it's never going to happen, is it? Good question. Yeah, he's not had a good season in Spain, and uh, part of that's because most of the time he's not played in his, uh, the, the right position. Actually, more recently he's been playing in the two, two behind the three in Real's 4-2-3-1 formation, uh, and a lot of the time he played in the kind of uh, sort of number 10 role, which isn't really his best position, and of course uh, he's outshunned by Mesut Ozil in that position. So he's not had a great season. Real paid like 23 million euros plus a massive amount of add-ons. So it wouldn't be cheap for United to get him. I'm not sure that they will dump him after a season. Although, of course, he he might have been a a Jose purchase. So we'll see what happens with Mr. Mourinho at the end of the, the season. So, yeah, possibly, possibly he's available. I mean, if he's available, we should break the bank to get him. I think I just right, and he would he would excel in the same formation uh, alongside Michael Carrick in in the United central midfield. Absolutely. Yeah, although it's worth pointing out if his problem at uh, Real Madrid has been that he's been played consistently not in his best position, he probably doesn't want to come to United because he will end up playing fullback quite a lot. Fair enough. You know, it rounds them off. Yeah, it does. It's a total football thing. This is all because of Johan Cruyff. That's that's why everyone's a fullback. A question from at MRMSO7. Did you back Carrick Boy at Cheltenham at 50-1? to I did not. It would have been a good bet, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. I'm not a gambling man, but I imagine at least one Manchester United fan must have bet on that horse just because it was called Carrick Boy, surely. I'm sure quite a few did. Congratulations to all of you. Let us know if you did. Very good. There's a two-horse race coming up this weekend. <laughs> That's good. And United being the runaway Grand National winner, and uh, there's some clogger coming uh, up on the rails at Old Trafford. Reading can do it. They're not going to win by a nose, are they? That was amazing. Well, they've lost their jockey, of course, in midweek, or their trainer, one or the other. Can't work out which. Brian McDermott has been sacked in what can only be described as a remarkably harsh decision from a man who just got Reading promoted. The, the whole thing of sacking managers for not being able to keep their teams in the Premier League when they bring them up seems absolutely bizarre to me, especially since, I don't know, Reading have been alright. They've had a few good moments, and this seems like a jolly weird time of the season to sack someone, because what, what's really going to happen? I mean, I guess you, you're relying on that new manager bump keeping you up, which will earn you millions of pounds. I suppose it's worth worth a gamble. Reading managing director just said they had no one lined up. Right. So so this isn't even a Southampton where they had someone lined up. No, this is a Wolves. And- yeah. And they're going to end up giving it to the reserve team coat, who is totally incompetent and will just help get them relegated and they won't get the bump, you know. I feel no sympathy for chairmen who do this kind of thing. None at all. I mean, Brian McDermott seems like a decent guy. He he gets them playing decent football. They qualified for the Premier League by right because they were a fine side in the Championship last season. He's clearly a victim of his own success. Uh, How short-sighted can you be? You deserve everything you get. 
Yeah, and also sponsored by Waitrose and have goal music. So, you know, I, I've got nothing against the people of Reading or the supporters of Reading or the players or staff at Reading or even the managing director who seems to be a bit crazy. But, you know, good luck to him. When you look at the relegation struggle, someone's got to go down. It might as well be someone with goal music. I think that's that's fair, isn't it? I mean, to be fair, that is a good reason. Yeah. Goal music, like many things in this modern world, is unacceptable. And uh, whoever invented it should be beaten to death. It's always like one of three tunes and none of them are any good as well. That's the other thing. Like, there's a few tunes associated with football that are brilliant. The theme from Zed Cars is brilliant. The Liquidator is brilliant. One Love is absolutely brilliant. This is the one is amazing. You know, uh, the Ajax fans singing Three Little Birds. And to go with the kind of when you score, it's awful. It's really, really bad. Everybody stop doing goal music, please. It's almost like something based on Seven Nation Army. You're sick of it, don't you? <laughs> you do. But that's now been replaced by joy in my heart. There must be a weird thing where football supporters of those clubs, uh, when they hear that tune, when they're out and about and there's some 90s retrospective going on, uh, they break out into a grin because it's associated in a sort of Pavlovian way with joy. But anyway, you'd need a kind of proper classical conditioning response to make that tune be one that's associated with joy, wouldn't you? Mm. So who do you think is going to go down? Because it's getting tight down at the bottom there. QPR won a couple in a row. Uh, I think 23-23-24 QPR, Reading, Wigan and then Villa have got a little bit of a gap and they've actually started to play half-decent football. So it's, it's going to be interesting, that one. Yeah, it really is. Wigan have a game in hand over Villa at the moment. So they're 24 and they've got better goal difference. So if they can win their game in hand, which is obviously a massive if. I mean, Wigan may just have started to Wigan it up a storm. Their 3-0 victory over Everton was quite remarkable. I mean, Everton were terrible in that game, but Wigan played absolutely magnificently. And it is so odd how good they get when they're good. Right. I wonder if they'll be distracted by some, some big cup games coming up. I mean, they've got Millwall in the FA Cup semi-final, haven't they? And and probably a cup final uh, to come. And actually, I, I can't remember whether the cup final comes before the final game of the season this year. I think it does. So that, that might play a factor too. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that really will. I think the conventional wisdom that that's a distraction, whereas it could also be a massive confidence booster. You'd think Martinez is a pretty intelligent manager. He's going to manage that effectively, you would suspect, and and they know what they're doing from here. I think the, the, the thing that's really fascinating to me is whether this QPR revival is real or not, because it's very easy to write a new narrative based on the fact they've got two wins back to back but that could fall apart as quickly as it arrived you would have thought same with Villa's newfound success same with Sunderland's absolute slump being pulled right back into it currently on 30 points Southampton on 28 I mean we we said a little while ago that it was definitely three from four but I think Sunderland and Southampton properly dragged back down into that now yeah, could well be a, a decent-sized club going down this season, I think. I mean, given given the way QPR and, and Wigan are, are really pushing on at the moment. So, it's uh, yeah, it's always good fun. I think it's always good fun when someone big goes down. I mean, it's a shame Newcastle have got enough of a gap that they'll probably save. I, I like a good Newcastle relegation. I guess, you know, despite John O'Shea's presence there, the way that Sunderland celebrated, did the Poznan and all that last season, probably means I wouldn't mind terribly if they went down, but I quite like Martin O'Neill. You know, I got got lots of friends and stuff that support Aston Villa, and, you know, it would be sad for the city I live in not to have any teams in the Premier League, but they are pretty woeful. I I think, um, if I had to really go out on a limb, I would say that QPR, Reading and Southampton are going to go down. It'll be the three promoted sides from last season that, that all go down. And that Wigan will survive, Villa will survive, and Sunderland will survive. 
Right, fair enough. United won't play much of a part in this. Uh, of of that lot, only actually play Sunderland in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, after the international break, and and aside from that, a lot of mid-table dross, uh, including Chelsea and Arsenal. It's perfect for the running, isn't it? I mean, you know, that's that's what you want during the running. But to the game at the weekend, I mean, I don't expect it to be a world-beating performance from United, but it really, really shouldn't need to be, and they would. We really would have to be bad not to win. Yeah, I mean, you do remember the 4-3. Uh, how many goals? Seven in 30-something minutes, wasn't it? At the Majeski in December. I mean, talk about comedy of errors. Or uh, what was it? Cavalcade. Cartoon Cavalcade, Ferguson called the defending. No, it's tightened up an awful lot since then. Um, oh, except for the cup game at the weekend, I suppose. I, I wouldn't expect another 4-3. I'd expect a, a nice, comfortable United victory. And, you know, a, a good way of getting out the last couple of games out of the system. You know, his, I suppose a defeat and a draw is a crisis time in, in Old Trafford, isn't it? And uh, I, think, well, I think we'll come out of it with a thumping win. The real danger of this one is complacency. And you've just exhibited a, a mass of, you think we're going to come out of it with a thumping win. But, you know, I, I, it's hard to look at the relative merits of the two sides and the form the both sides and not suspect that United will blow off the cobwebs and actually it was quite good to have that game against Chelsea to mess up a bit and we, we're still in the cup after all and you know I'd sort of prefer we'd messed up in the cup than messed up in the league that's for sure United's games Reading at home Sunderland away then the cup game and then and then it's the derby of Manchester City and so basically you know there's there's four games there that could win United uh, a, a Premier League get United into the semi-finals of the FA Cup for another derby game I mean you know it's a, it's a big few weeks now uh, leading up to the start of April and uh, I think United are in a great position you know defeating Europe was hugely disappointing especially the way it came it could have a really negative effect uh, there was definitely a, a fallout from that against Chelsea certainly physically in the way they performed in the second half but I think after a week off United would be refreshed ready to go two victories in a row coming into the cup game United have had some good performances at Stamford Bridge recently so I think we're set up quite nicely for that for that derby on the 8th of April it's exciting when you put it like that so of course little ranter uh, who's coming along Miss Rant is is due on the 10th of April so we don't want any early babies just saying just putting it out there that you know births can be missed for derbies what you're really going to struggle with is if Wayne Rooney scores a winner in that game, you'd be like contractually obligated to call the kid Wayne. And I, I don't think that's going to work for Mrs. Rant. Yeah, think think not, think not. Predictions against Reading. I mean, it, you know, it's very difficult. One, one thing that's extremely difficult to predict, I think, is the starting lineup. I mean, I, I, I do think that's that really is difficult to call. I'm pretty confident it'll be Daya, Everett and Raphael. And beyond that, I'm really not sure. Well, look, United have had a week to to rest, and there's two weeks until the Sunderland game. I know there's the international break, but but still, you know, there's no reason to to chop and change. So I, I think he'll be playing somewhere very close to full strength. As I said, I think I think it wouldn't harm anyone for Van Persie to have another week off. Yeah, I think uh, Giggsy will play some part as well. That's that's the other thing. He did mention that after the Madrid game on last Friday's press conference. He said he won't play any part against Chelsea, but then he will play a part against Reading, and that's, that's how we're managing him at the moment. So I, I, I think it'll be uh, Giggsy will play, and I'm going to predict that he's going to score as well in a... I was about to predict a clean sheet then. I think I'm going to, Ed. I'm going to go out of limb and predict a 3-0 win to Manchester United. Ah, well, Giggsy always scores, and I had in my head before you said that three 0 to United. So I'm going to have to copy you there. Okay, okay, and and, uh, and say three 0 I think it'll be a nice, comfortable United. I'm not sure if Giggsy will score. 
Okay. All right. Well, that's you've got. A, who, who do you think? So who one? We got to pick one of the goal scorers. Wayne Rooney. All right. I excellent. think I think Rooney will score, and I, I think uh, Welbeck will score. So I think that brings us to the end of another rank cast. Uh, talking of like two games in a row, it looks like we're going to get two rank casts in a row out Touchwood uh, as as I record this. It's still early days yet. A lot could go wrong between now and the time when you're hearing this. But if you're hearing it, it means nothing has. Of course, no rank cast next week, although we will be paying attention to how Rio does for England. We can't bring ourselves to do an entire podcast dedicated to previewing the international break. So we'll be back with you in two weeks time. If you want to get in touch with Ed or I in between now and the next time we record one of these, you can get Ed at United Rant or me at UTD Rantcast on Twitter. Get us both at facebook.com slash United Rant or leave a comment on unitedrant.co.uk. And if you're feeling incredibly generous and want to chip into the running costs of this podcast, then unitedrant.co.uk slash donate. Still no eccentric millionaires leaving us to a life of luxury and podcasting. That's a real shame. Of course, there are eccentric millionaires at Old Trafford. That's the only thing that I use to explain the reason why United bought Bebe. Yes, he probably won't be scoring, but he'll always be a hero. And a hero to us always is Ed Barber, who brought you this. That's Ed Barber on Twitter.
around my 